Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the state historian at UConn Hartford and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. Hartford native Jerry Peterson has played golf with President Barack Obama and was inducted into the Black Golf Hall of Fame in 2015. Golf has always been a huge part of his life, from his start as a kid caddy during the Depression to playing as a young executive at Etna Life and Casualty. But what did it take for Peterson, a black golfer, to become a member of the whites-only Keeney Park Golf Club in 1963? Jerry Peterson will tell us, and Jeffrey Mainville, author of the summer 2018 issue story, The Midway Golf Club, will reveal Hartford's part in the national struggle to end racial discrimination at municipal golf courses in America. This episode is sponsored by attorney Peter Bowman. Find out more at bowman.legal and Connecticut Humanities, co-publisher of Connecticut Explored. Hi, I'm Mary Donahue, assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored. Today's episode reveals the tenaciousness of one man to break down a racial barrier and the dedication of a historian to uncover the story decades later. Before you hear my interview with golfer Jerry Peterson, taped by telephone from his summer home, let's hear a little more about the history of African Americans and the sport of golf from historian Jeff Mainville's article in the summer 2018 issue of Connecticut Explored. Golf got its start in the United States in the 1890s in private golf clubs that did not accept African Americans as members. The Professional Golfers Association of America, PGA, formed in 1916, maintained a Caucasian clause within its bylaws from 1934 to 1961, restricting access to competition and prize money for black players in nearly every professional tournament in the country. Many future black golf professionals, such as Charlie Sifford, Ted Rhodes, and Lee Elder, developed their passion for the game as young caddies watching the techniques of white players. Beginning in the 1920s, African Americans formed their own golf organizations. During the next two decades, new clubs organized in Los Angeles, Miami, Houston, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, Minneapolis, and Atlanta and regionally in Providence, Boston, Albany, Bridgeport, Springfield, New Britain, Hartford, and New Haven. As early as September 16, 1933, African Americans competed in the Southern New England Colored Golf Championship at Keeney Park. Prizes were displayed in advance at Henry Williams Barbershop at 1978 Main Street. The Midway Golf Club formed sometime between 1927 and 1933 at Keeney Park, and provided the opportunity for Hartford-area golfers of color to enjoy the sport. Jerry, so welcome to the podcast. We were so happy to have your story in the summer issue of Connecticut Explored. I've been looking to have that story in an issue for a while because it's really compelling and really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Certainly. I am a native of Hartford, Connecticut, My uh, early schooling was in uh, public school in Hartford, 
Connecticut area. And uh, I still think of Hartford as my home, even though I haven't lived there for many years. And it, it was a great place for education. The, the school system was uh, designed after the uh, school systems in Boston. And uh, Boston Latin it was the same as Hartford High School in terms of curriculum and the way that their faculty was chosen and the way that they taught. And part of the uh, education system in Hartford involved recreation. That is, uh, you know, gymnastics and all those things. And, and someone had the uh, good thought to include the public golf courses. So the public golf course uh, nearest me was Goodwin Park. It's about five blocks from where I live. And that was part of our recreation system, as I will describe to you a little bit later why it was important in my golf world. Now, were your parents part of the Great Migration? Did they come up from the South? My great, my grandparents came to Hartford in 1896. Okay, so a little earlier. Yeah, my mother was born and raised in Hartford at the Hartford Hospital. My father came from Virginia a little bit later. He was uh, five or six years old when he arrived in uh, Hartford and uh, my grandmother and he lived in Bloomfield, Connecticut, rather than Hartford. Uh, but they, uh, you, you call them part of the great migration, but my grandfather Crosby and, and my mother's uh, uh, parents came to Hartford long before the migration. <laughs> they were here before 1900. So you're definitely a, definitely a Hartford native in several generations. So Yes, absolutely. I would call myself a Hartfordite. Now, <laughs> when, would, when would you say that you got interested in golf? Well, my brother caddied at the Weathersfield Country Club, and uh, many years prior to that, during the Depression, my father actually caddied there for a very sh short bit of time in between jobs. And I had an uncle who caddied there uh, back in the, uh, the late uh, 20s, or early 30s. But uh, around uh, 1940. Nine, I think it was, let's see, 32 and 12, 44. Around 1944, when I was 12 years old, I went to Weathersfield Country Club to caddy because my brother was caddying there. And it was a great way to earn a few dollars and uh, not have to go to work in uh, the tobacco fields, which were available then if you were 14 years old. You could get a work permit. And when I arrived at the Weathersfield Country Club, I was I was too small to carry the golf bag, and the pro took a liking to me and said, uh, if you would work and uh, get the golf balls during my golf lessons when we hit them out into the field, uh, I'll pay you uh, a dollar for each lesson. And to me, that was good money and wonderful opportunity to be at the country club. So I went to the club every day, not to caddy initially, but to to uh, work for the golf pro for, oh, maybe half of that summer. And then I don't know whether I grew a little bit or whether he took a real 
uh, likened to me as in because I was such a a uh, uh, workaholic, I arrived early every morning and stayed late every night uh, to uh, work his lessons. Uh, that he gave me a chance to caddy for some of the women at oh. the club. And uh, their bags were much smaller. And uh, the, uh, the one of the women I caddied for was the wife of the president of the club, uh, Robert Grant. And she told her husband that I was just a terrific caddy <laughs> because I had the, the best manners of all of the young people there. And uh, that, was, that was her way of evaluating whether or not you were a good caddy. In addition to knowing the game, she expected you to be uh, somebody who had read the etiquette book. And uh, that year was a very excellent year for me. But when I showed up the following year, when I was 13 years old, I was bigger, stronger, and therefore uh, able to carry the bags of the women and the men. And uh, at the same time, I acquired uh, some used golf clubs that someone gave me, and I took up the game uh, in terms of just learning how to hit the ball and practice. And uh, when I went to the, uh, the golf course, the public golf course at Goodwin Park, I learned that uh, if I was a student in the Hartford school system, that I could uh, sign the book and uh, put my teacher's name and, and uh, the school that I attended and I would get a, a generous discount, and it cost to play nine holes of golf on the on the uh, flat nine, as they called it, which was more like the uh, beginners golf course up there. And uh, that I would uh, pay ten cents to play nine holes of golf, which was just an incredible small amount of money to go play a game of golf, and uh, but the, it was subsidized completely by the. The Board of Education, and uh, the, this was one of our recreational outlets, golf, tennis, uh, basketball, all of the things that they had in the park were part of the uh, recreation available to young people, or not young people, but to everyone in the, who was a resident of the city of Hartford. So once I became a, a what I will call a class A caddy, that is somebody who caddied for the best players. And uh, one of the ways you would find that out is if if they would take you with them when they went to play golf at a, another uh, golf club uh, in a tournament, they would ask you to jump in the car and go along with them. And uh, your day then would be uh, caddying at the Hartford Golf Club or... Uh, someplace uh, in uh, Newington or uh, Weathers, I mean, uh, uh, outside of Weathersfield. So I became uh, one of the, the Class A caddies and uh, also uh, about that time was entering high school and was uh, interested in playing on the high school golf team, the Bulkley High School golf team. So I went and uh, did the, uh, the the tournament that decided whether or not who was going to be on the team and was 
pleasantly surprised that I was a, now a member of the Buckley High School golf team. And uh, that allowed me to play golf at some places that I probably never would have had the opportunity to play because the high school golf team from Manchester High and, and West, West, uh, West Hartford, uh, the Rockledge Golf Club, uh, was uh, their home course. And uh, <laughs> coincidentally, the Wethersfield High School Golf Club was uh, at Wethersfield Country Club. So I was playing the country club uh, as a high school golfer. It sounds like because you were a caddy, you got to see both public courses and private courses, right? That's correct. Did you absorb any of the lessons as as you were a twelve year old and you were catch, going out to get the balls for the for the pro? Were you listening to those lessons over and over again? I heard that lesson at least 50 times in my year when I was 12 years old, and I could almost recite the lesson myself. I mean, it was that you're absolutely correct. And even today, in uh, helping friends and uh, uh, people around uh, who are interested in learning a little bit about uh, the game, I'm, I'm, I still use that same uh, information to help other people. Now, was and, it and my, and myself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was it common for the caddies? Were the caddies African American? How did that work? Well, it was uh, a combination of the uh, uh, the residents of Weathersfield, uh, which who were. Uh, primarily uh, white folks. Uh, there was an, an element of uh, diversity. Uh, there were probably, of the 50 caddies that we had there, uh, 10 of us were uh, some of something other than uh, white folks. We had some uh, Puerto Rican, couple of Puerto Rican guys and uh, uh guy from India and uh, some African American folks primarily my brothers at one time uh, all three of us three of the four brothers were caddying there at the same time so there was some diversity but not a lot and it does sound like it would have been a more interesting job than just working in the tobacco fields Oh, I tried tobacco just to see what it was like, and uh, and and uh, did it for about a half of the summer when I was probably around uh, maybe fifteen years old, and uh, went uh, went right back to the country club because it it, it was just a little bit uh, more. Uh, uh, backbreaking and carrying a golf bag. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your high school team. You said you got to play different places in Central Connecticut, different yeah. high schools. How how well did you do? Well, uh, our high school team uh, for the three years that I was uh, I was. I've, I went to junior high in the ninth grade, but uh, 10, 11, and 12, I was in high school, Buckley High School. And we had the same golf team for the three years that I was there. 
except for one fellow who graduated before we did. But it was, you know, a real team uh, that uh, played reasonably well. We weren't as good as the best teams in the state, uh, but we were competitive. And uh, once a year, we played in a... A tournament where all of the Class A, the larger high schools of the state of Connecticut, competed. And uh, my senior year, we had the great honor of playing our tournament at the Brooklawn Country Club. Oh. Down in uh, Stamp- uh, Stanford, I think it is, or Bridgeport, one of the two. But that was a golf course where years ago they played the U.S. Open on this golf course. It was a very prestigious, uh, expensive to join golf course. Uh, a lot of people from uh, Fairfield County were members and people from uh, Westchester County, New York, would come over and be members of that that uh, country club. And that was that was incredible as an experience because caddying there would be something, but playing the golf course in a tournament was just astounding to us. Now, you started in the 50s as an insurance executive, a junior executive, and you were telling me a story about the insurance company Golf League. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Well, I uh, graduated from uh, UConn, the University of Connecticut, in 1957. Uh, During my time between high school and uh, college, I was drafted into the U.S. Army. So I spent two years in the uh, Army and then uh, came back to the University of Connecticut and played on the golf team there and uh, graduated and became a computer programmer trainee for the uh, Aetna Life and Casualty in Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, at that point, we were using the IBM 650 computer in a trial kind of basis to see whether or not this was some kind of an uh, some kind of a device that we might use in order to do a lot of accounting. It was really more accounting than anything else that we were thinking that the computer could help us with. But as it turned out, it was a a real uh, turning point in the way that uh, business uses automation even to this day. But my first uh, week while I was at the uh, job in this new job as a programmer, I received a phone call from the captain of the golf team of the uh, uh, the golf team, and I didn't even know that we had a golf team. And he said that uh, on Tuesday I should uh, come to uh, Indian Hill Country Club in Newington in the afternoon because I was now a member of the Aetna golf team. And I said, I don't think so. I just got this job. (laughs) I'm not not interested in playing golf. I'm interested in having a career. Exactly. (laughs) And And he said, well, speak to your supervisor because he already gave us permission. So 
Oh, I went to uh, see Nate O'Neill, who was the uh, the uh, uh, head of the department, and I said, I've received this strange phone call about golf. And he said, oh, yes. He said, I gave permission to have you go out and play on the golf team. I understand you played in high school and college. And uh, that's, it's, that's an, it's an important public relations kind of uh, thing that we have here. And all of the insurance companies in Hartford, uh, Travelers, Connecticut General, all the other insurance companies are members of this uh, golf league. And we'd like you to be our one of our representatives. And on the weekend, you can just come back and uh, put in some time for the time that you spend on the golf course. So I was required to do it. Yeah, and then you were required to make up the time too. So yes, oh yeah, yeah, and but but see that turned into something even more important uh, to me, and that was the uh, supervisor or a personnel, whoever it was, said if he's working on Saturday, that's overtime. Oh. So I was, <laughs> I, was, I was being paid time and a half for the time that I put in on Saturday. <laughs> now, I know... So it, it worked out very well for me. I know the Midway Golf Club was formed in the 1930s. What do you know about the older generation of Midway golfers? Well, uh, I, I was acquainted with the Midway because the people who were the members, the older fellows who were the members uh, were uh, members of my church, some of them, uh, who were good friends of my uh, grandfather or my father or my mother or my aunts. So, you know, it was not a very large community in Hartford, uh, the African-American community. We, We knew each other. We knew by families we knew each other, actually. And uh, when I would uh, go to Keeney Park, I would uh, see some of these fellows who are uh, family friends and uh, and have an acquaintance with them and uh, learn that uh, they, they asked me to join the club. And I was just pleased to be able to do that. And then sometime not too long after, they asked me if I would uh, be interested in being the president of the club. I tried not to. I had all kinds of excuses, but eventually uh, I had to uh, do what they wanted me to do. These were the old guard of the Midway, and they wanted to make sure that it it, uh, continued. And one of the ways they was knew that it would continue as if they put some younger people into the you know, the uh, the leadership roles and that's what they did with me and uh, I became the president of midway that that makes perfect sense and it's it, it also put you in a position so that in 1963 you wanted to really advance in the Connecticut State Golf Association Now, I'm not a golfer, and I wasn't sure of all the rules until I was reading about this in the magazine that are required. Could you tell us a little bit about why you couldn't get into the Connecticut State Golf Association right away? Yeah, in a a general sense, uh, the the game of golf 
revolves around what is called a handicap system. And a handicap system means that uh, you go out and you play golf and you take your average scores and eventually you have a handicap. And a handicap you can use when you play tournament golf, uh, state tournament golf. Well, at that time, uh, back in 1963, uh, there were precious few African Americans who were members of a golf club that allowed them to get a state handicap. Uh, I had reached, uh, I had a state handicap before I was uh, drafted into the Army. Uh, during my high school days, the uh, high school team at Buckley High School was asked, required, not requested, to be members of the state golf association because we were members of the Goodwin Park Men's Club. And they represented Goodwin Park with the state, Connecticut State Golf Association. Well, for some reason, when I went to uh, the Keeney Park Golf Club, uh, Men's Club, and asked if I could uh, be a member, they somehow uh, had, a, uh, had, 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 I don't know, some reticence about me becoming a member. And I thought it didn't make any sense. I mean, I didn't tell them that I had already become a member. I had been a member before I went off into the Army and went back to school, but I had a state handicap card. There wasn't any reason why I shouldn't have one, uh, but I had to be a member of the Keeney Men's Club. And uh, the secretary of the club told me they weren't looking for any more new members. That they had all the members they needed, and, uh, and it just didn't seem right to me. So I went to uh, see the city manager, guy named Elijah Friedman, who lived in the neighborhood, and uh, said, I think there's some some kind of a discrimination going on here, because I'm a golfer, I've been a golfer for quite a while, I, I am a fairly good golfer, you know, I know the game, I've been around the game ever since I was 12 years old, and it doesn't make any sense that I can't become a member of this club. All I want to do is get this state handicap so I can compete in Connecticut State golf events. And uh, he said, well, let me look into it. And from that point on, it became uh, a cause celeb. I, you know, I didn't realize it was going to be a newspaper kind of uh, article and uh, and it was, and I think it was on television also. But eventually the city of Hartford uh, town council uh, decided that it doesn't make any sense for Keeney Men's Club to exclude people on the basis of race or religion or anything else. So they said, you either admit people who are interested in becoming members or you'll have to give up your uh, right to be the representative for the city of Hartford's golf course. And that's what 
happened. I think that's such an interesting strategy because in 1963, the uh, civil rights movement is has to use every tool available. They have to use pro, yeah. they have to use protest. They have to use persuasion. They have to use the law. And in this yeah. case, it really seems like the city manager decided that this wasn't it was important to him or important to the city yeah. or important to the residents of the city that this be right. an open public course that had those privileges offered. So I, it was interesting to me that that strategy worked, that because the city manager was willing to publicize it and push it, yeah. it, it seemed to be effective. But I know I've got a um, Hartford Current headline here that's, uh, your first effort with the state group, the headline is State Golf Association Calls Negro Ban a Local Matter. So it yeah. really took that level of exposure and him pushing it in the newspapers to get the publicity I think you needed for this. Um, yeah, and, and even though it was very embarrassing for me, I mean, going to work at the Aetna where I was literally the only uh, African-American in the management training program, uh, the first and only. And uh, it was kind of interesting. People never brought it up. <laughs> they never saw this. You know, I saw the article in the paper, you know, do you need any help? Or uh, what are you trying to do to join this private club? They don't want you, you know. But what really happened, uh, Mary, I didn't realize until years later, was the state of New York, state of Massachusetts, the state of uh, Rhode Island, there were golf clubs similar to Midway in these places, and they all went to their state golf associations and asked to do the same thing. And uh, it became uh, a real ripple in the pond that, that caused some real change in uh, New England and the northeast part of uh, the country in terms of public golf. And people who were mem and then members of now the, the state golf associations. So that was very gratifying when I found that out. How did the other members at Midway feel about this? Were they 100% behind? Oh, they you? were. They were excited. This is to them. You know, this this was this was like I was I was the guy who was breaking the barrier. You know? Yeah, they were they were enthusiastic, and they used their own uh, word of mouth uh, to. Uh, people who were in had influence. Uh, one of the things that the Midway required of its membership was that all everyone had to be a registered voter in oh. Hartford. That's really interesting so, in today's climate to hear that. Yeah, and uh, one of the uh, union uh, members uh, actually he was. I think an officer in one of the unions, he went to his uh, union and said, uh, we need to talk with 
the members of the uh, city council that we support and tell them how we feel about this issue. So there was uh, a lot of big pressure being brought from different directions. And a lot of it because the Midway members were influential people. You know, they didn't have the, the management jobs in the companies, but they had real stature in terms of being able to discuss subjects with uh, the executives that they work for. And they did. Now, once you, yep. got, once you got your state handicap, how well were you accepted in that membership? Oh, there was no reason in the world why that, you know, and many of the folks, most of them were embarrassed. You know, when you go to the places, man, what the hell, how could that be? You know, that because that, they all thought it was uh, the secretary of the Keeney Park Club. He was, he was the one who was who was uh, out of step. Everybody else said, you know, I, that's not, I thought you were a member. You know, didn't you play in the state uh, thing? Over the, I said, yeah. That was when I was uh, with the uh, Goodwin Park Golf Club. So I thought I'd played against you. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that was really strange that you're not a member. I thought you were a member back in time when I joined. Well, I want to thank you, Jerry, so much for recording this podcast with us and sharing your really impactful story. So thank you again. You're welcome, Mary. Thank you. Before we talk to historian Jeff Mainville about his work in uncovering this important story, let's hear from Walt Woodward, state historian, about his exciting new project. I'm Walt Woodward. I want to tell you about a brand new initiative by the Office of the State Historian and Connecticut Humanities. It's called Today in Connecticut History. Every day of the year at todayinCTHistory.com, we tell you about a fascinating, often little-known event that happened on that very day in the past. TodayinCTHistory.com provides an article, great images, and audio about the event from our daily WNPR broadcast. You can even subscribe to receive a morning email telling you what big event happened in this state on that date. This is your history, and it's worth knowing, and I hope you'll visit todayinCTHistory.com soon. TodayinCTHistory.com, because big things happened in this state on this date. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mary. So how did you actually hear about the Midway Golf Club? Well, uh, again, I was I was in graduate school at Trinity College, and uh, I, you know, I felt that it was important to, when it was coming to the point where it was time to start thinking about a, a thesis and a final project, I felt that it was important to do something like a local story, a contribution to that. Uh, and a colleague, Craig Hotchkiss, who was a history teacher for 35 years, and he was busy racking up master's degrees uh, in, at Trinity himself. And he was doing a uh, project on the, the architecture of the golf club, the clubhouse at, uh, at Keeney uh, Golf Club in, uh, in North Hartford. And he said, you know, there was an African-American golf club down there in the 19, started somewhere in, you know, back before the war. 
and uh, they were called the Midway Golf Club. And he and he said he, he wishes he could do, do the project, but he just didn't have the time. And he says you should look into it, and and therefore I did. So, how did you go about researching this history? Well, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of written records. You know, the the basic sources like looking in the newspapers and the in the old. Hartford Current uh, online catalogs. Uh, we went to the, the Connecticut State Library looking, uh, you know, there's there were African-American papers in Hartford at the time, uh, such as the Hartford Chronicle, but there wasn't a lot of information. So it, it became pretty apparent quickly that I had to, this was going to be an oral history. And I felt that capturing the oral histories and recording them was also going to be an important part of the project. Uh, it's not something that ends up in the in the final product in in Connecticut Explored, but all the backstory behind it, um, a lot of that information came from the oral histories. So then it was, uh, you know, finding the right people. How am I going to track these folks down? A lot of this happened. Uh, the Midway Golf Club formed sometime in the 1930s. I was in existence till at least the early 1970s, and then a little bit before my time. So how do I find these folks? And uh, so I started asking around, and uh, we talked to uh, Franklin uh, Perry, Franklin Boo Perry, and he gave me some names. I talked to Walter Doc Hurley while Mr. Hurley was still alive, and uh, Barbara Lane from the John Rogers History Center uh, in Hartford. And they, and they started to give me some names. Uh, eventually got... Uh, Barbara Lane told me about Henderson Duvall. His nickname was Sonny, Sonny Duvall. Got Mr. Duvall on, on the phone and, and interviewed him for, for probably an hour and got a lot of insight into African-American golf in Hartford in the 1950s. He told me a lot about Charlie Sifford, who was the kind of the most prominent African-American professional uh, nationally, and also a lot about the, the, you know, kind of the local story. When I Got around to talking to Bill Costin. Uh, Bill Costin is an interesting man. He, among other things, he, he likes to collect African-American history. He's also a photographer, and he's also a uh, hot air balloon owner and operator. But Mr. Costin uh, was really the key because he got me in touch with uh, Jerry Peterson. And, and really, the story is about Jerry Peterson. The articles in the Hartford Current feature, you know, the story begins with, with Jerry Peterson. Um, that was really the key. I was able to contact uh, Mr. Peterson, spoke to him twice on the phone, uh, long interviews. And, and Jerry, of course, um, knows his story very well. He was, uh, he was a rising star at uh, Aetna Life Insurance. He, um, he had completed college. He grew up in Hartford as a South End uh, kid. And then uh, when, you know, in the 1960s, as president of the Midway Club, um, you know, he was really positioned to kind of test the fences with with the Keeney Men's Club, which was the only only club that that could be was recognized by the Connecticut Golfers Association. And this was, you know, right after uh, Martin Luther King's historic speech on August 28th, uh, 1963. And I think the time was right, uh, you know, according to, to Jerry and, and, and friends that, you know, enough was enough. And so uh, we spoke to we spoke to Jerry. Uh, there was other uh, golfers like Dave Purnell, Reuben Brown, Bobby Powell, and these all these gentlemen were were helpful in kind of reconstructing the time period uh, and being able to uh, fill in the blanks in terms of uh, you know what the 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 mood was you know what the, what the conditions were in Hartford and uh, you know in terms of 
you know, segregation and, and, you know, racism and that sort of thing, you know, did it exist and what, and what, to what degree. So uh, these guys, uh, the oral histories were absolutely essential to, to putting this project together. And why do you think this is such an important story to tell? Well, it's it's part of a larger national story on civil rights uh, in this period, kind of the great migration and African-Americans moving north after World War One and after World War Two. And then, uh, you know, the civil rights, the civil rights movement starts to gain steam. You know, there's instances all over the United States of African-Americans wanting to play golf. Uh, you know, there's an African-American middle class that wants to enjoy the same uh, types of uh, leisure activities that, that the, the whites do. And, you know, there's, there's lawsuits happening in different, uh, different cities across the nation. You know, progress is being made, and, and this is happening in Hartford as well. Yeah, and, and after World War II, um, you know, boxer Joe Lewis, the Brown Bomber, he, was, uh, he, was, he loved golf, and he did a lot to promote African-American golf and rights for African-American golf. He was the, the first African-American to compete in a PGA-sponsored tournament in 1952. Many people know the story of Charlie Sifford, who would come and golf in, in UGA tournaments, United Golfers Association tournaments, um, and he would come to Hartford and clean up because he was just a fabulous golfer. And uh, he also won the Greater Hartford Open in 1967 after, you know, he, he challenged the PGA and, the, and what was called the Caucasian Clause. Um, Stanley Mosk, Attorney General of California, helped Mr. Sifford uh, kind of break through that barrier and, and open the doors for other African-American golfers. Um, Jackie Robinson, a baseball player, first African-American to play in the major leagues. He, he was writing letters to President Eisenhower protesting um, against, uh, you know, discrimination against Charlie Sifford in the 1950s. And there were other golfers that were absolutely dynamite, Teddy Rhodes, Bill Spiller, Lee Elder. And so, you know, this was a, a story that, you know, they kept eroding, you know, working at it to, to chip down these barriers. And, uh, you know, folks like, like Charlie Sifford, who are now in the National Black Golf Hall of Fame. And, and so, is, uh, so is Jerry Peterson as well. If our listeners wanted to know more about your research and find the bigger story, where could they find your thesis? You can read, uh, uh, you can, there's paper copies at Trinity College. It's probably in the Watkinson Library. There's one at the Hartford History Center at the Hartford Public Library. And there's one at the Connecticut Historical Society. And, and the best part is that the uh, all of the interviews that we conducted are um, transcribed in full. There's two with uh, two separate interviews with Jerry Peterson. There's one with um, Elijah Friedman, the former city manager of Hartford, who was uh, instrumental in bringing this uh, little dispute at the Keeney Park Club to a close, uh, fighting for uh, Jerry and the Midway guys. There's even a discussion with Greg Jones, who uh, is with the Skins and Pins tour and kind of the modern Midway group a uh, group of uh, african americans that play play around now and uh, promote uh, you know access to golf so so a lot of great interviews and there's a lot more detail thanks for listening we wish to thank jerry peterson and jeffrey mainville 
This episode was produced by Mary Donahue, assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored and engineered by Patrick O'Sullivan, PDO Films. For more about the Midway Golf Club, Black Baseball in Connecticut, the story of Yale's Walter Camp and the invention of football, and other stories about summer recreation in Connecticut, order your copy of the summer 2018 issue of Connecticut Explored at ctexplored.org. For more stories of struggle and triumph by Connecticut's African-American community, order your copy of our book, African-American Connecticut Explored, now in paperback on Amazon. This episode was sponsored by attorney Peter Bowman, helping the seriously injured and holding distracted drivers accountable for their action. More at Bowman.legal. And Connecticut Humanities, co-publisher of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. Visit cthumanities.org. This is Walt Woodward, hoping you'll join us next time for another episode of Grading the Nutmeg.